Hello and welcome to Teach the Children the Truth, Ethnic Studies and Raza Studies in the TK-12 Classroom. My name is Marisa Villegas Ramirez and I'm your host. This week in Ethnic Studies History, June 8th through the 14th. This week's events all happen to have occurred on June 12th, just by chance. On June 12th, 1898, the Philippine Declaration of Independence was proclaimed by Filipino Revolutionary Forces General Emilio Aguinaldo. It asserted the sovereignty and independence of the Philippine Islands from the 300 years of colonial rule from Spain. In the Treaty of Paris, Spain ceded control of the Philippines and other territories to the United States in December of 1898. Ignoring the declaration, the Philippines became a commonwealth under the U.S. and would not become an internationally recognized independent state until 1946. On June 12, 1963, civil rights leader Medgar Evers was assassinated in Jackson, Mississippi. Evers, an African-American civil rights activist and field secretary for the NAACP, was targeted for his efforts to end segregation and promote voting rights for African-Americans. On June 12, 1967, Loving versus Virginia was a landmark civil rights decision in which the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that laws banning interracial marriage violate the equal protection and due process clauses of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. The case involved Mildred Loving, a woman of color, and her white husband, Richard Loving, who in 1958 were both sentenced to a year in prison for marrying each other. According to Virginia's Racial Integrity Act of 1924, marriage between people classified as white and people classified as quote unquote colored was a criminal act. The Lovings appealed their conviction to the Supreme Court of Virginia, which upheld it. They then appealed to the US Supreme Court and in June, 1967, the Supreme Court issued a unanimous decision in the Lovings' favor and overturned their convictions. Its decision ended all race-based legal restrictions on marriage in the United States. On June 12, 2016, a mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida, left 49 people dead and countless more injured. It is the deadliest incident in the history of violence against LGBT people in the United States. As we continue to celebrate Pride this month, let us hold in our memories the countless members of the queer community who have suffered hatred-fueled violence in our nation and around the world. Check back next Wednesday for more ethnic studies-related events in history. This week, I am honored to bring you an interview with a very gifted and dedicated Bay Area educator, Maestra Rina from San Leandro Unified School District. Rina is a Spanish language dual immersion educator who teaches through an ethnic studies social justice lens to kindergartners. And I just had to get her onto the podcast so you can get to know this amazing mujer. So let's not waste any time. Here is Maestra Rina. I'm really excited to have a very special educator here with me today. This is an educator who 
works with our youngest. And I, I want her to be able to tell us a little bit about that. So I want to introduce Maestra Rina to you all. Rina, would you go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, gracias, gracias por tenerme, hermana. So my name is Rina. I am a dual immersion and bilingual educator. I believe I'm starting my 24th, ay Dios, my 24th year, creo, in, in the fall. <laughs> yes, I'm muy vieja. Um, all of my years, I've been in either kinder, kinder bilingual, first bilingual, um, kinder dual immersion, and in this coming fall, I will be moving up to first dual immersion. <clears throat> That is amazing. And as a former dual immersion teacher myself, I know exactly um, what I like to teach the kiddos, especially those that are coming into the language brand new and have no background in it whatsoever. It can be a, a great challenge, but it's also super rewarding to see the end result, you know. Oh, and it, is, <laughs> it is the most, it is the most amazing thing that I get that I get to be a part of, you know, um, developing second language literacy for half of my students and then just, um, you know, honoring and extending um, native language for half of my students. So I consider it a great honor. And every year I swear I'm pinching myself of like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is working. And families are like, I can't believe they understand you. And and I'm say I'm saying the same thing. <laughs> it's just, and I'm like, as soon as it stops being magical and exciting, then I know that I need to move on. But for now, it is a hundred percent that way, and I consider it a huge honor to be able to do a job that I love so much. And at this age, I just feel like there's such sponges, and it's just amazing the power of like repetition and rituals and routines and getting everybody in the flow. And I really, really very strongly believe that the that the 80-20 or the 90-10 model is better for our native Spanish speakers and for our students who are, who are acquiring Spanish as a second language. I've just seen that really focusing on Espanol, right? El mundo es inglés. There's inglés a su alrededor in the playground, in the cafeteria, in the parque. Mm -hmm. And just really having a strong focus on Espanol in the classroom. Um, I And, you know, and then continuing to watch my students grow, I really feel like it, it benefits everyone. Yeah, that's very true. It does. It's beautiful. And so I want to ask you some questions um, yes. about you as an educator and, and your career. You, did you always want to be an educator? And what, what brought you to education? Not at all. And it's a really, it's a really funny story. So I um, did my undergraduate at UNC Chapel Hill in North Carolina. And I was just basically taking classes that appealed to me. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to study. I was just in college, it felt good to finally be you know, getting past my prerequisites and taking classes that meant something to me. So I ended up toward the end of my junior year being like, oh, I have enough credits that I can be a gender studies major. And I had also um, lived, went to do study abroad in Toledo, España. So then I became a gender studies and Spanish double major. So during my college experience, I was focusing a lot on um, working working through women's rights. So I was working with like a women's advocacy organization. Um, I was working with a battered women's shelter, and um, I, I, quite honestly, I didn't quite I didn't quite know what my path would be. I was just exploring different parts of you know myself and these classes and these organizations that spoke to me. 
And literally I graduated. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was at the farmer's market. I saw this beautiful, beautiful sign of these hands reaching through, uh, reaching to the sky, reaching to the stars for community independent school. And I was like, wow, what is that? And it said that they were looking for um, for educators. And I was just, just the description of the school sounded so beautiful. I had an amazing phone call when I called and they were like, well, you should come and see the school. And I went to see the school and just my boca abierta, jaw on the floor. Like there was an organic garden, there was yoga in the woods, everything was multi-age, like there was art everywhere. It was music. It was just, I, I mean, I grew up in white suburbia in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I was a brown girl in a white world. Like my education was not like that at all. And I actually, I feel like I experienced quite the identity crisis, like for a big, big, big part of my life. I mean, literally for many years of my life, I went to sleep thinking that if I woke up blonde and white, that my life would be perfect. And I actually wish that I would wake up white and blonde. Mm-hmm. It was a really, really difficult, um, I mean, I, I'm super grateful to my parents. We definitely, you know, developed a larger Indian community, you know, with our surrounding cities. But within my within my school, like I was one of very, very few Indian students. I think there were maybe six of them, six of us, and two of them were my brothers. There were very few kids of color. And so to to you know, stumble upon this school and see this sort of education and just meet the families and the community and the way that it felt, I was like, ooh, I need to check this out. And so I worked there for a year. I worked with incredible, amazing people. I mean, like I said, like just the curriculum was so amazing, was nothing that I had ever experienced, had ever taught. And I finished that year thinking um, that this type of education does not only need to be for white rich kids who can afford it. And so during that year when I was there, I was applying to graduate school programs and I was looking at Teachers College and also um, the Developmental Teacher Education at Cal in the Bay. Mm -hmm. And I came here and this ended up being a much better fit um, for, you know, for what I was looking to study. And the program just had a strong emphasis on urban education. And so we had five different teaching placements and I believe it was my third teaching placement. I went and I worked at Thousand Oaks in Berkeley with an amazing, beautiful mentor of mine, Maria Rosa. And um, it was my first bilingual classroom that I had been placed in. And I wasn't sure, I was really insecure at the time about my Espanol, you know, yo soy de la India. And I was just like, not trying to be an imposter. And she just really, really convinced me that like, you know, you need to be an educator. Like you are an educator to be a bilingual educator. And, you know, think about your niñez and the languages that you didn't have the opportunity to learn because of your school experience. Like think about being a part of um, supporting students and acquiring and learning another language and supporting them in their native language and supporting them in their cultura and, you know, de donde vienen y el orgullo y todo eso. And she really um, empowered me to just really think of myself as a bilingual educator and to just know that it was something that I could, it was something that I could, you know, learn on the job and improve my Espanol and um, become a part of this of this club of powerful bilingual educators. So it was through meeting her that yes, my path really solidified. And you know, to this day, I will say like, I am an educator to be a bilingual educator, like exactly in the words of Maria Rosa. And I just feel so, so, so honored um, to, to have a position that 
serves me in so many ways, but it's also like I'm healing my inner child, hermana. I really am through this work. Like I'm healing like all the ways that I felt growing up and all the ways that I didn't feel seen. And um, yes, I just, uh, I, I love what I do and I keep on doing it. And say, well, how can you bring these topics, these very serious topics to such young children? And yet I see you do that. And I'll explain why. I'll, I'll explain how I see that at the end of the, this, the piece. But I see you do that really skillfully with your students. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, first of all, what are the three most important reasons that you feel that children this young need social justice and ethnic studies in their classrooms? Um, well, thank you. Yes, I mean, I will have to say um, I've had a lot of beautiful mentors along the way that have really that have really guided me and inspired me and showed me um, showed me what is actually possible. So during my graduate studies, I wrote my thesis on literature circles and critical literacy within a kinder and um, first grade. I guess it was bilingual at the time, bilingual classroom. And it was using books and literature to talk about, you know, sexism and racism and bullying and just, um, you know, important topics that our youth are definitely, definitely ready to give their opinion on. And I think, you know, and I think I even told you this many years ago, or not many years ago, earlier this year, that when I first started, I was teaching first grade and I definitely looked at kinder teachers and thought like, I will never be one of them. I will never have like a Christmas sweater box. I will never have apple earrings. Like that is absolutely not me. And moving from first grade into kinder, was one of the most beautiful blessings of my life that I didn't quite recognize at the time. I was so, so scared on moving to kinder and like, what can these babies even do? And like, are they going to have potty accidents? And like, I don't even know. They're so, so, so little. And coming, becoming a kinder teacher has been one of the most beautiful blessings because like most of my students don't go to preschool. So I get to be the first experience. There's no undoing, redoing, Um, You know, this is the way it was done last year, but that's not the way it's going to be done this year, which happened a lot in first grade. And so just being a part of the experience of being able to like welcome families and grow with families and build with families and students and being the first experience of school has just been such an honor. And I feel like the kinder babies people underestimate them. They are so, so ready for truth and they are so ready for justice. And it's very, very natural to them. And so through my work, especially at Roses and Concrete, um, which is a school that I helped found in Oakland, I worked Mm. with some incredible people, um, LT, Erika, who are now leading the ethnic studies program through OUSD. And I really learned how to just keep things relevant, rigorous, and, you know, do that through developing the relationships. And like, so for instance, you know, this year, I was able to talk about, um, you know, the Oakland teachers being on strike and like, you know, we made posters in support of them that we took to the huelga. My actually, my four-year-old daughter went with her preschool and she was representando en la huelga en el piquete. And it connects to all the work that, you know, we had done about the civil rights movement, about the women's movement. And it's really, I think what's so amazing is if, you just, you just, you go with the times, right? You know, it's like, this is happening in Oakland. They're seeing it on the news. Like last year when everything was going down in OUSD and they were trying to show black and brown, they were trying to close black and brown schools and everybody was like on the news talking about why like 
just using that as a base to talk to the kinder babies about like, this is what's going on and what do you guys think about it? And they so, so, so easily make connections to everything else that we've studied. You know, they're like, oh, that's like thanks taking and all of the people who came to this country and tried to, you know, tried mm -hmm. to take the land away from the indigenous people. And it's just, I mean, I'm constantly in awe of the of their ability to think so critically and to make connections with everything that we've that we've heard about and that we've that we've talked about. And I think my um, my method for doing it with the babies is through books, is through books, is through like brain pop videos, is through newscasts. Mm -hmm. We're blessed to have Promethean boards here in San Leandro. So just really like starting with a video, which provokes a conversation or starting with a book, which provokes a conversation. And then we just take it from there. I also do a lot of work with our fifth grade um, Big Buddy class, who we <laughs> see every week to to read with. So like when we were talking about uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, and we actually got really, really deep, um, you know, through a brain, brain pop video talking about police brutality and how black men are dying and black people are dying and things that were like much more heavy than we had discussed before. We did it with our fifth grade buddies and they actually helped guide the conversation. And it was really amazing watching that peer mentorship happen. And also like the fifth grade kids learning, like this is, this is how you talk to the little kids about it. And I have a couple pairs of like kinder fifth grade siblings in my room. And it was really beautiful hearing from the families before um, what the big kids had gone home to say of like, oh, can you believe that this is what we talked about with the kinder babies? And this is the way that Rena does it. And like, we need to have these conversations. And the fifth graders just brought it home. They brought it home and my kids love and adore them and respect them so much. And of course, you know, they've been learning it about, they've been learning about the movement, you know, for many years now. And many people, of course, are learning about it at home. And they just bring such knowledge in a way that, they can they can hear it so much better from them and they really um helped guide the conversation this is like seriously brown girl magic here so i'm mm -hmm. loving it. um i'm asking what are what are the three most important reasons that you feel students need ethnic studies in elementary school at such a young age but i mean honestly i think you've kind of just naturally answered it and in being able to make connections to what they see in the world no, I, I, I feel you. And it's definitely that. And I mean, I think for me, a lot of what I already said, but it's like, I'm a bilingual teacher and a dual immersion teach. Like, I'm, I'm not here to just teach language. Like my goal of my mission every year, my vision for my students is like, they're not just learning a language, like they're like, you know, it's about identity, it's about cultura, it's about raices, it's about orgullo, being proud of where you come from, you know, and I will just continue to be very honest, like, this work for me is also selfish. Like I am healing my inner niña. <laughs> I am healing my inner niña yes. that was, you know, did not feel el orgullo de ser de la India, de tener piel morena, you know, de hablar otro idioma, de ser hija de inmigrantes, like all of those things, de, de traer comida de mi país a la cafetería, like all of these things I grew up like having such shame over. So it's really, really, really important to me that my students feel valued from if you feel valued for where they come from and what they bring, right? I mean, there's a saying that like, 
mi casa es mi primera escuela, pero mi escuela es mi segunda casa. So, mm -hmm. I mean, all of these beautiful children, like, they come with so much life experience, with so much sabiduría, you know, with so much wisdom from their families. And um, so, yeah, just really harnessing that energy and then also making sure that parents feel very welcome in, in my classroom. Like, that's something that I've really focused on for all of these years. I think too often in our urban schools, they're, they're not welcoming places like they're, at all. They're, they're welcoming places for white PTA mommies who, you know, want to raise lots of money and come in because they're not working. And, you know, eso el otro for our brown mamas, you know, que vienen con sus carriolas, que tienen los hermanitos. I remember at a school that I worked at, like people actually used to say like, I can't believe that these moms just stay on campus like all day. Like, don't they have anything to do? We need to lock the gate and we need to get them to leave. <laughs> And, you know, unfortunately, that is how most schools operate. And right. I think it's it's up to us as as educators to break that barrier down, que abrir las puertas, to invite them in. I mean, in the mm -hmm. pre-COVID days, it was wonderful. I had hermanitos in here. The moms would come. They would lead literacy centers. The hermanitos, you know, would be tracing their name or working on the whiteboard. And it was just like comunidad. Right. Unfortunately, now there's a larger process that families need to go through. But I'm still, I mean, the reason that my students do so well every year is for la dedicación de las familias. I right. regularly have um, parent volunteers that come in and lead cooking projects. I have parent volunteers that come in and lead literacy and math centers every day that work one-on-one -on -one with students on syllabus, on el abecedario, you know, and leyendo palabras, leyendo libros, you know, and also the social emotional support that a lot of our babies need, like just having another adult in the room. It's like somebody, you know. Llega triste or algo pasó por la mañana. You know, I definitely have students come in all the time that just need that extra love. And it's so wonderful. I mean, now that funding has been cut, like I I don't remember. I guess at Roses, I had an IA full time. But since I've been back in San Leandro, it's like I'm lucky if I get an IA, you know, 30 minutes a week. So to have another adult in the room to like love and care for these kids mm. and support them all the ways that they need and just to really create that sense of community, it's like, when these mothers come to my room, they're not just working with their own student, you know, with their own babies. They're working with every baby, and it really just develops such um, such incredible community and connection. And um, I feel very, very honored to to have the support of so many incredible families every year. Hearing you is is making me really miss elementary school. So some folks know that I, I come from an elementary background. I've actually taught elementary, middle, and high school throughout my 26 years. Bless you. I remember starting at second grade in deep East Oakland at Stonehurst Elementary School. And I had a roster on my first day of school of just 20 little Rasa students, you know, mm. all brown babies. And I had no curriculum. I had no, yes. uh, I either had a manual and no books or books and no manuals. And that's really what, what brought me to teaching through an ethnic studies and Raza studies lens, because I had just finished my BA in Chicano studies at Cal. And I, I grew up in the Chicano movement. I grew up really connected to my culture and to my language. And I realized like, this is what the kids needed. This is what mm. allowed me that they had something to contribute to their own education, that they already brought that cultural knowledge and wealth to the, the classroom, that it wasn't like 
it's an open vessel and I'm there to fill them and teach them everything they need to know and then send them off to third grade. And, and so hearing you, the way that you create curriculum based on real world events and, you know, things that, that these young kids definitely have an opinion about, if only someone would take the time to ask, you know, take the time yes. to like develop a space where they felt it was safe to talk about these topics, that, that these kindergartners, these five and six-year-olds have a lot to say about the world around them. Absolutely. You know, and I think like I didn't have ethnic studies until my Mm. first year of college, girl. And that is actually when I had my first teacher of color. And it was an honors English class. And I remember she asked me, she's like, so what is it like to be the daughter of a mixed religious family? I know your mom is Punjabi and your dad's Cindy. And I was just Lord, I was like, wow, nobody has ever asked me that before. And I've never actually thought about it. And Mm. through writing, I started to reclaim my identity, you know, and reclaim Mm. my roots and explore further who I was. But I didn't get that till I was a grown woman, girl, right? And it's like, how can the world change when we start having those conversations when kids are little? Like you said, like they come in with so much cultural knowledge and cultural wealth. And it's just like really harnessing that energy and the depth of their experiences and the lives that they've lived and like bringing it in, like welcoming their whole selves in. And I start my year doing an identity project where the students create I mean, it's not start my year, usually like around November after we've, after we've built for sometimes um, the students create a life-size um, image of themselves. And through that work, like there's so many incredible books now, you know, for black and brown kids about, um, you know, anti-racist baby and black is me and all of these incredible books that we're reading that really share the experiences that kids are having about, you know, not feeling welcomed or experiencing racism or not being light-skinned enough or not having ojos de color yes. and mm-hmm. all of these things and these conversations, like the kids are ready and the kids have so much to say. So, so, so much to say. So yes, just echoing what you're saying, they really do bring in so much cultural knowledge and wealth. And I think it's just our responsibility as educators to create space, to create space for those conversations to happen, you know, and the beauty of being a dual immersion teacher. I mean, for years I was bilingual teacher. So by virtue of being segregated by language, those babies were segregated by race, but like, I love having black kids. Like I love having mixed kids. Like I love, I have a girl from Germany this year. She speaks German, Espanol and English. Like just the diversity of my classroom now as a dual immersion teacher also creates so much more room for those conversations to happen and the way, you know, and the peer to peer learning and, you know, just um, students bringing, bringing who they are and, um, not just working within a classroom that only has Raza students who are who are already speaking Spanish at home. And that diversity is super important because I, you know, I think back on my trajectory throughout my years. And now that I'm teaching at James Logan, because I am no longer in Oakland Unified, but most diverse group of students I've ever taught in my life. And that makes my classes so much richer because you have different perspectives coming in. And sometimes they may be perspectives that, you know, they're pushing against you as an educator, or maybe you're pushing back a little bit on them, trying to get them to think outside of their own box, which is part of education. It's part of, you know, what we what we want to teach our students to be able to do because they're going out into a world that's so diverse. And oftentimes we have students that are coming in and just this very limited box, very limited view of the world. And I'm really enjoying the diversity 
as I moved up through the years and did dual immersion, I, you know, also learned a lot about working with students from different communities. And I think it's made me a much better educator. A hundred percent. Oh, a hundred percent. When we opened Roses in, um, in Oakland, we <clears> actually had, you know, we were a 50-50 program. So we actually had mostly Black students. We didn't have the perfect two-way immersion model of having, you know, Raza native, enough Raza native speakers. So it ended up being that I was teaching um, math and, um, and lenguaje, you know, like lectura, escritura on the Spanish side and ethnic studies and science were on the English side, just because it was difficult to be having those conversations in Spanish when I didn't have yeah. <laughs> many Spanish speakers right. in my classroom. And so it was, I got to learn a lot from my sister, Erika, about the way that she, you know, brought those conversations in and connected it to real world events. And yes, having a diverse classroom is is everything and has made me so much better of an educator. And of course, like, I remember even the Zoom year, girl, I was just like bawling the first three days. And I was like, there is no way that this is going to work. Here I am, detrás de una pantalla, hablando puro español, and half of these kids can't understand me. Like, there's no way that this is going to work. And then about a week in, I was like, Oh my God, here we are. Here we are singing and learning on Zoom and speaking Spanish. And, you know, and then of course, like using some of the online apps, like like Seesaw, where kids got to, you know, record themselves, reciting some of the poetry and the affirmations and the chanting that we were doing. I mean, that year really made me so much better of an educator and made me grow and stretch in ways that I did not even know that I could. So bless all these challenges that, you know, that make us who we are. Right. We, we definitely all grew as educators in those years on Zoom. I, yes. And, and it hasn't been that long. And even now I, I have a hard time remembering what it was like. It's Yes, kind of- I agree. I agree. It's a, it's a blur. It's a blur. But then I see my babies, yeah. those, my Zoom babies, I think just finished second grade this year. Right. And they're like having fluent Spanish conversations with me. And I'm like, okay, something worked. Something worked. Yeah. And of course, bless the teachers that, you know, that, that got to have them in real life. But um, so, yeah, we, we were able to do it somehow all together. And of hitting the state on a, on a larger scale now that the governor has made it a, um, not a requirement, but he's strongly encouraging that all schools offer ethnic studies at the high school level 2025, which is just around the corner. It'll be here before we know it. And I know that there's a lot of educators that are looking towards getting into ethnic studies. And I'm, I'm wondering, because you're teaching, you know, ethnic studies, social justice at the elementary level, what would you want to say to people that are looking at education and are thinking, well, if I want to teach ethnic studies, I have to do it at the high school level. What would you say to those folks if you could try to get, you know, people to come in to your school or to other elementary schools and bring this kind of knowledge? I know that's what's so funny. It's always the high school conversation. Even when I did my thesis way back in the day at Berkeley and they're just like, you can't do critical literacy. You can't do literature circles with kinder and first grader. I think I was kinder first and second. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, watch me, (laughs) you know? It's a, it's it's amazing but yeah there's a lot of non-believers you know and just to just to be in my full truth like I do at back to school night like I do let the families know that I'm a non-neutral educator and I talk to them about um, you know the things the things that I do to keep education relevant and um, there 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 has been pushback 
on that, you know, and the pushback usually comes with like, okay, let's have a meeting on Zoom, just me and your family, and you can ask me some questions and we can, we can figure out how we can, how we can meet in the middle. And so you know which way I'm coming from. So I think, yeah, just reiterating like the use of children's books and the use of of media, like Brain Pop is actually my favorite, favorite go-to, you know, for Black Lives Matter, for Thanksgiving, for civil rights, like uh, for Chinese New Year, for so many things that we that we talk about and learn. It's really, really nice just to kind of have that be the jump off, like that be the starting point. Mm-hmm. And then to really... Um, tap into all of these incredible new books that are coming out. And, you know, I have kids of my own, so I'm in the know a lot through them or through my daughter goes to a social justice preschool. So I think just really, really keeping your, keeping your ears and out your ears and eyes out for all of the new amazing literature, literature that comes out that really supports ethnic studies and San Leandro actually there's an ethnic studies working group that is creating curriculum on their own, which is incredible because every, um, you know, pre-packaged publishing, <laughs> publishing package that we were looking at was not cutting it, right. you know, and, and did not contain things that, that we wanted to be doing with our kids. So there is a movement here in my own district that's starting at K, that's working its way up, of teachers getting together and just putting all of their curriculum together. Um, so in terms of advice, I just, I don't know. I mean, my advice always for new teachers is just to like, I feel like when I came in, I graduated from Berkeley. I was super, super excited to start teaching. Like you, I came in, there was no curriculum. Nada, nada. I had nothing as a bilingual educator. My room was so, so, so bare. There was nothing here. I was just in shock. And so I think I came in making like $36,000 a year. And I spent so much of my own money. Basically, everything in my classroom now is mine. I've either bought it with my own money, but I think my advice for new teachers is donors choose is your best friend. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know what year in I finally discovered donors choose. And now my classroom is just popping from all of the generous donations from people that I don't even know. I used to hit up my people to donate to my donors choose. Now I just put it up there. And then all of a sudden, like Chevron funds it or or some other some other amazing company. Yelp, I think, has funded a lot. And it's just amazing um, the things that are available now, like through their um, through their platform and resources that you can get for your students. When I do, um, you know, ethnic studies, social justice with the kids, I always send the links with the families, always. So, and and, and I give the disclaimer too, like especially when we did the one on the Black Lives Matter movement, which um, which went into themes of police brutality. You know, I do say like this is something that we watch in class. We watch it with our fifth grade buddies. I'm sending you the link. The kids are always like, send it to my mommy. Mandalo mi casa. No quiero ver con mi mommy. Um, you know. So I, I do send the disclaimer of like, you know, if you're going to watch this one, like, please watch it with them because it evoked a lot of questions and discussion. Yeah. But just also, you know, letting the parents know like where we're coming from and what this is connected to. I mean, I had a mom this year when we were talking about um, Thanksgiving and the holiday and what it meant. And it was actually a brain pop video. And she was like, look at me like I'm a grown woman. I have two kids and I'm learning this for the first time. Like we've all, we've all been lied to. We've all been lied to in our whole educational trajectory. (laughs) And so, you know, we're all, we're all here to learn together. And yeah, I mean, gratefully it's been, it's been very, very well received by the parent community. But I also think a lot of that comes from um, the time that I take, like, I think the, 
you know, I'll never claim to be the one with the with the best curriculum, but I will, but I will claim to be an educator who loves my students. And I say that at the beginning of the year, like I'm going to love the babies as if they were my own and I'm going to hold them accountable as if they were my own. So for me, the most important work that I do as an educator is really developing super strong relationships with families, which include, you know, having them come into the room, like everyone has my phone number, they can reach out to me at any time and just really developing that confianza. Mm -hmm. So then when hard conversations come up or when questions do come up about why am I doing what I'm doing, like we already have that established, you know, they know, they know where I'm coming from and the work that I'm doing. And there is that confianza. So like, if something isn't well received, like we can talk through it, we can work through it and we can come, you know, we can meet halfway or come to an understanding. Right. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. I think the building of that community is so foundational to be able to do any kind of teaching. I mean, whether you're teaching math, science, whatever, right. You Absolutely. Have to- and I think, unfortunately, a lot of our educators, because they're feeling so rushed, they're feeling like they've got to get to these standards, they've got to teach all this stuff before the end of the year, and they don't have enough time, skip that part. Agree. And I think a lot of, I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, like a lot of um, educators are not, don't feel comfortable having families be in their room. For me, that has been, that has been my saving grace in all yes. my years. I'm just like, I can't do this on my own, and I don't want to do this on my own, right? It's like parenting, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I've got three kids at home. And my parents showed me from a very, very young age that like, this is not we're not supposed to be raising our babies in isolation. And I remember being so young, and they would leave us, you know, con esta tía, con ese el otro tío, and they would just, they would go on vacation. And it was I really, really grew up like, with our extended Indian community and everyone became our families. Like everyone had immigrated together. They had met here and those people were my family. I'm raising my babies in the own, in the same way. It's like, I am not the all knowing parent. And I love just having other powerful, you know, allies in my life to help me raise my own babies. So yeah, the same goes with having parents in the classroom. It's just like, I know, you know, they learn differently in Mexico and El Salvador, you know, like they come here and, they teach me the way that they do things. I teach them the way that I do things. We, here we are learning mm-hmm. together, like, you know, pensando que será lo mejor para este estudiante. And it's just, um, I feel very, very grateful. I feel very grateful for um, all that I've been able to learn throughout my years from my families. And we we feel you for that as well. I have to do my little disclaimer here at the near the <laughs> end of, of our time together that um, Rena is my grandson's kindergarten teacher. He Hated. has very blessed to be in her class. So everything that she's talking about, witnessed, witnessed either first or second hand through the few times I've been able to be with the class, because of course I'm also a teacher. So I, I can't take the kind of time off that I would have loved to be part of your class and just hang out for the day. Um, but of course I hear and learn a lot about you from Aiden, first of all, and also from my I daughter. I love it. And my mom, who has been able to push in because she goes to pick Aiden up every day after school. And I've been aware of what an amazing connection you have to your students and the amazing work that you're doing with them. And that's my my selfish reason for wanting to get you onto my podcast. But I also felt that it was really important your story to be told because you're doing something really powerful, very special and unique in your classroom. And, and I don't necessarily want to say that it's unique in the sense that you're the only one who's doing it, because I'm sure there are many, many other educators that are doing this. They just don't realize that's what they're doing. 
They haven't yet Absolutely. put like the ethnic studies, social justice label to it or the community building, but they're doing it because it just feels right and it feels natural and it's, it's what's getting results, but it's also building this super beautiful space. I felt like your story was so unique in many ways and, and it needed to be put out into the world. I'm hoping that this episode gets circulated like crazy through the internet so that people know that you're out. I think you need to get involved with that, the liberated ethnic studies model curriculum if you're not already hooked in with uh -huh. them because uh -huh. they were in the process of building out the, the primary level curriculum. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I feel very honored. Um, my eldest baby is at San Leandro High and is actually starting in the Social Justice Academy next year, which he's super excited about. So yeah, I'm excited just to kind of build the bridge between the high school down the street and the kinder. Oh, well now right. the first grade, the first grade babies and, you know, make it building the bridge and doing the, right. doing the work together as well. But yeah, thank you. Thank you for the accolades and being able to build with your family this year has just been amazing. And these estas mujeres, I was like, what I remember when I met the abuela, I was like, wait, like who, what? There's the mom, there's abuela, there's a bisabuela. Like you guys are just, you guys are incredible. And Aiden is such an amazing reflection of all of you. Oh, thank you. It, it really has been beautiful to have them in your class. And I, you know, as, as year progressed, I kept hearing about Maestra Arena, Maestra Arena, and all these amazing, like, I'd see photos of the work that he was doing in your class. And I'm thinking, wow, this is like a dope ass teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just like clicked and it was like, yeah, she's a badass. That's, I love it. I love yeah. it. And then, yeah, we have so many people in common. I remember the first day that you walked into the room <laughs> after it was some piñata moment in the park. Oh, maybe for the holy days, we did that potluck in the park and you came right. in and you were just feeling the vibe. And I was like, oh, of course, of course, we have all these amazing people in common. Yeah, can you look at it? Now that I know that your oldest is going over to San Leandro High, um, Erica Virai, uh, who is yes. the, the, the program organizer and she's like the main teacher, She's married to my department chair. Uh, oh, I, I love it. Who is the head of ethnic studies at, at Union City, at, um, at Logan in Union City, my teaching. So oh, we have that. I love it. Which is really Yeah, fantastic. my man and I, my man and I walked into Erika's room during open house and Narayan had just found out that he was accepted into the academy and we were just <laughs> like, oh my God, I want to be in this class. Like, I want to be, I want to, I want to learn everything you're doing too. Yeah, she's amazing. I'm super excited to grow and build and witness her as well. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing program. I'm really excited for your family to be able to push into this you know, this new space and I'm looking forward to hearing your stories about, you know, your child working uh, and, um, and who knows, maybe I'll, I'll have an opportunity because sometimes she will send some of them over to do their praxis presentation. So it's kind of like a capstone that they do at the end. Oh, of, I love of, it. And some of them have come to my class or to Ivan's class or to Miss Manny's class over at Logan to do their presentations for us. So who knows, maybe I'll, I'll get your baby to come into yes! Oh, I love it. I love it. We're definitely going to continue building yes. this. I'm super, super excited for this connection. Absolutely. And so um, I just to wrap up and I want to respect your time because we're, we're closing in on, you know, we've gone over like half hour. What's one final thought? Um, I mean, I guess it's, it's just what I've said before. Just really, really like harness the beauty and the light and um, the 
just what your families bring in. I, you know, that is where my, that is where my passion lies. And I just feel like schools are really, really, really unwelcoming places to our brown and black families and their voices need to be heard and they're, they're, they just, they need to be welcomed. So I couldn't agree more. I think that folks hearing your story today are, are going to be very inspired by the work that you're doing as I have been for this past year. I'm hopeful that we get a second year with you and we're we're all crossing our fingers that you're able to continue with our babies um specifically but i think they'll still have an opportunity to work with you either way is that yes i mean because you'll there's only two first grade teachers right so i'm sure yes 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 you will collaborate which is important so one way or another we'll be able to you know continue as a as a community and i'm excited about that absolutely Um, yeah so Thank you so much and appreciate you for the time that you've dedicated to meeting with me today and sharing your story. I'm wishing you lots of time with your family, lots of opportunities for rest and relaxation because you deserve it. And, and, a, and a wonderful new year when, when August hits and, and we're all back in the classroom again. Yes. Thank you so much, my love. Thank you for taking the time. I'm super honored to be a guest on your show and just bless you for all the work um, that you continue to do and the voices that you continue to amplify. And just thank you for being, thank you for being who you are. I'm really, really honored to know you and I look forward to growing this connection. Thank you so much. And I would love to have you back on the show again in the future, maybe with some of the babies in tow even. Yes. I would love that. Oh, I would love that. They've got, they've got a lot. Isn't she just amazing? And yes, our family is so lucky to be able to benefit from her love, dedication, and expertise in the field of ethnic studies. If you want to reach out to Maestra Rina, you can reach her at rinaquina at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-N-A-Q-U-E-E-N-A at gmail.com. I'll include her email link in the program notes as well. Until next week, I wish you all peace, love, and happiness. In Lakech.